Is eating turkey the cause of sleepiness this holiday season? Tryptophan, an amino acid found in poultry, is commonly associated with sleepiness. However, turkey and chicken contain roughly the same amount of tryptophan. The cause of fatigue during the holidays is more likely from overeating, excessive consumption of alcohol, and dealing with your Uncle Rico, who every year tells you that back in 82, I used to be able to throw a pigskin a quarter mile, than it is from consuming turkey. This holiday season, Americans will consume about 22 million pounds of turkey. And this is Yoma's Cooking Cast. You're listening to Yoma's Cooking Cast, a podcast dedicated to teaching home cooks how to improve their skills in the kitchen and share a mutual appreciation for food. Welcome to Yoma's Cooking Cast. I'm James Yoma. And I'm Andre Fernandez. Our guest chef on this episode graduated from Johnson Wales University and has worked his way through the Florida luxury hotel industry. From line cook at the Biltmore to chef de cuisine at the Ritz-Carlton to operational chef or Marriott in Amsterdam, Chef Mark Kaba, welcome to the podcast. Hi. Yeah, my background is in uh, luxury hotels, same as James, and most recently with corporate dining. So I joined a company back in Orlando, and I switched from hotels to corporate dining. So here I am. So you've been, you've, you've, you have experience all over basically the world in a sense, um, obviously all over, all over Florida. And then you spent a lot of time in Europe. I was born in Niger. My father's from Senegal, half French, half Senegalese. And my mom is American um, and Latvian. That's awesome. I think your, your perspective on food is different from a lot of the people that we've worked with, especially when we work together here in Orlando. (laughs) Back in the day. Mark, thank you so much for being here. I'm excited to hear about your background a little bit. The hotel side of hospitality. Because having worked in restaurants, I understand that volume is kind of predictable, right? You can look at last year's forecast, get an idea how busy a restaurant's going to be depending on the night of the week. You've got an idea of what kind of volume you're going to have, how you forecast, how you plan for that. And really, in my (laughs) mind, when I think hotels, it has to be so remarkably unpredictable, right? Because you're servicing the restaurants within the hotel, you're servicing room service. I want to hear a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, it it, it is unpredictable, I guess, from a specific guest perspective. But we usually have an idea of what's going to happen based on, Mm. like you said, history. What's unpredictable is who's supposed to show up to provide the service. That's always unpredictable. Always. And it's going to be consistent and predictable, I think, from a, from a chef leadership perspective. Because it's a lot of work. So when you've got, you know, yeah. 40 turkeys that came out of the brine the day before and they're ready to go and ready to be cooked and the guy that's supposed to cook the turkeys doesn't show up, that's what's a little that's difficult. That's the day that you cross-train a server. <laughs> <laughs> So Chef Kaba and I graduated from Johnson Wells University at different times, but we worked together at the Ritz Carlton. You were the chef de cuisine um, when I was a grill cook in, in the three the three meal restaurant that also supported the interim dining. Now the volume we did tons it of volume. It was a big luxury convention center. And then the holidays, it was, it was even more busy, uh, given that we're in Orlando, big transient, you know, town, tons of tourists in that time period too. How does that volume compare to the volume in Europe or in Amsterdam? Because you, you were working at, at the Marriott. It's uh, way, way, way lower in Amsterdam. I mean, first of all, I'm overseas, so there's a cultural aspect. I mean, in America, it's Thanksgiving. In Europe... <laughs> 
There's Thanksgiving for the In people Europe, visiting. It's Thursday. <laughs> yeah, it's Thursday. I mean, it's a, an American yeah. company. It's Marriott. It has to be the, the last or the yeah. third Thursday right, right, right. of the month, sorry, of November. But we had... But like Christmas and other holidays um, between holidays, them. Holidays, yeah, Christmas is a big deal. Christmas is a huge deal, actually. You know, we've got our winter markets. Somebody come in and ask for the red light special in your Amsterdam restaurant. <laughs> You sure you want to talk about that? <laughs> so long as, so long as there's not curse words, because those will get bleeped out. Yeah. So if you scream, it's going to get blurred out. But yeah, I mean, I yeah, I've walked through the red light district around the holidays, and yeah, but yeah, um, holidays and others, yeah. I mean, it's similar to it's similar to the U.S. I mean, Thanksgiving is very American. It's very American. It's very Canadian, and they call yeah. it they call yeah. it Thanksgiving Newfoundland Thursday or something. Huh. Okay. I don't think that's true. I just <laughs> do. They have traditional Thanksgiving. Oh, that's funny. They they do. They do yeah, like yeah, full yeah, traditional Thanksgiving foods. So like they don't just have poutine. I don't. <laughs> and well, that poutine is specific oh. to Quebec. Quebec. Yeah, poutine is not like it, it is in yeah. my mind. Poutine is very Quebec. It's amazing. It's like the richest, most disgusting, delicious thing I've ever had in my life. And I had the full of poutine. poutine. We had a little place called Bad Happy up up in Illinois, and the guy who opened it was on Top Chef, and he was terrible in Top Chef. There's an episode of him yeah. trying to cut a melon, like peel a melon, and he was like, like it fell off the board, and he couldn't get a hold of it, and whatever. But I don't know what happened. And he partnered up with his his buddy, who's a good cook, and they opened up this place called Bad Happy, and they did poutine and milk and like real eclectic milkshakes. Apparently, the trick to make good stuff taste good is butter, sugar, and salt. So I'm just going to start adding it to everything. Yeah, those got fat, yeah, acid and some sweet. You, you know, I'm working in a massive Central Florida theme park, and I think, you know, you have experience with the theme parks as well. What's the volume look like overseas as far as, like, the holidays versus the States? Is it more in the States? Um, I would imagine so. I feel like we are, you know, we eat so much food here. We eat till we hate ourselves. It's kind of offensive, right? But it's so fun. <laughs> I mean, we can get into specifics. In Amsterdam, for example, mm -hmm. where I was living for, yeah, three and a half years. Yeah, we celebrated Thanksgiving, but because it was a corporate hotel property, we had to acknowledge that. But the biggest celebration of the year was King's Day, where oh. we celebrate the royal family. And it's, it's just, just a, a tradition there. And the party is huge. Pre-COVID, I mean, there's it's a three-day celebration. And if it happens to fall on a weekend, then it's a five-day celebration. And it's paid. And it's shut down. And it's a party. And it's what? insane. I'll send you guys pictures. But it's out, of, it's out of this world. I mean, so you're looking at a city like Amsterdam where it's That's full awesome. of canals. I think there's, I'd say, 900 little bridges throughout Amsterdam that crisscross mm -hmm. all the canals and it's a party so is it basically day. like Mardi Gras but with less murders yeah <laughs> oh, no good. murders <laughs> I think Mardi Gras has some work to do when it comes to this really party. yeah really it doesn't oh, nice. come close doesn't, doesn't even come close <laughs> it's a little, yeah it's, it's different so this episode is going to drop after Thanksgiving but before Christmas what's the biggest volume you were doing for holidays experience. or just uh, regular? 
I mean, um, for, for both, for like a what, regular yeah, for both. holiday brunch at a luxury resort, eight to nine hundred, I guess. That's on the high end. Low end, five six hundred. Eight to nine hundred plates. Um, ah, people, people volume. That's a ton of people. Yeah, oh, people. Yeah, yeah, and when you're looking at plates, it's like how many plates do you use at a buffet? I'm a, I'm a bad judge of that. So, so depends who you ask. Yeah, eight hundred <laughs> people, three or four plates. That's a lot. So I'm I'm working at this theme park and we I've been here for a little over a year. This year we're cooking three thousand pounds of turkey Whoa. for Thanksgiving. Are you doing whole turkeys? Or is that including three thousand pounds of like turkey? Um, just breast. Just turkey breast. Uh, bone dryer. <laughs> right. Uh, we're co- cooking the more expensive and the leaner part, <laughs> but you know they're pumped with saline, so they're really salty and delicious. Yeah. So we brought in. 3,000 pounds of turkey to cook off and which, which is a lot, but you got to think like we have the square footage of, of, uh, San Francisco to cover as far as like people. So we're feeding anywhere between five to 6,500 meals for this particular meal. Now it's different from what you were talking about. Like you get, you get what you get, but it's an incentive for working that they, you know, that you're working. Cause what I do is I feed the staff for that company, tons of, Tons of moving parts in different locations on property. So 3,000 is a lot, you know, for anybody, but we're in COVID, you know, we're in the year of COVID. So everything's been dumbed down by amounts. So last year we did some, somewhere around 7,500. In one day? Um, uh, people. So we're doing about 6,000. Wow. That's still uh, heavy. They were spread out over Holy three. Cow. But yeah, it's still heavy. And then we did... So we would do Thanksgiving on, uh, you know, a certain park for a certain time for employees. And then, you know, we, I think last year it was something like 6,000 pounds or 5,500 pounds of turkey that we had to cook off. And this year's a lot less, obviously, but it's still a lot. You know, I, I, I have a 13 and a half pound turkey in my fridge mm. defrosting. Um, we'll brine it Tuesday to Wednesday, let it dry. So you're moving out from the cooler. So Wednesday this is Thursday, my first turkey. Cook it Thursday. I have thought of chicken before. Uh, my... I'm assuming I'm just moving from the freezer to the fridge, and I have to wait a few days. This is your. This is my first this is your turkey first that turkey? I. Have, so I have done a turkey before um, through work, but at the company I worked at, we had a a walk-in cooler. So basically, everything I needed mm. to brine and take care of all that stuff, somebody at work helped me out, and they said, "Hey, I'm already doing a brine. Oh, okay. You can just leave your turkey here. I'll drop it in, and then you can pick it up the day of." And I picked it up. You got some good peeps. I I, I worked with some fantastic people who made sure that I never, ever, ever, ever went hungry. I put on like 20 pounds when I started that job. It was amazing. So for now, it it just needs to go into a fridge. (laughs) And a brine. Yeah. I mean, you'll brine it after it thaws. So when I was up at the Bears, um, we would do about 22 to 28 turkeys, depending on the year. And we would bring them in whole. We'd thaw them out. But we, we weren't a banquet kitchen. Like, we were just a production kitchen for the cafe and the players. We had to break our turkeys down. We separate the, the legs from the breasts. Everything was still bone in. But we'd brine the breasts together. And we'd brine the, the legs together after it was thawed to give us room. But to answer your question about the cooler brining is when you make a brine and you put it in the cooler, make sure you add a ton of ice into it. So when you put your turkeys in there, you know, it. it's going to still be icy. It's going to still be under the temperature danger zone. That way, you know, you brine it for 24 hours, pull it out, and then whatever you're going to do after that, you can do. 
you know, I have a small cooler that I that I have that I'm gonna have to brine that turkey in. There's no way that I could fit another onion in my fridge, let alone a turkey. The cooler is the option. I think that probably works the best if you've got a cooler. All right. So since both of you two are the experts, and I actually have no idea what I'm doing this year, how, so first off, how does a brine work? You know, what goes into it? How long should I be brining something? It, the only thing I have learned about a brine is you have to rinse off your meat after because if you don't, it ends up extremely salty. Yeah, it's like taking a shower. You put the soap on, got you got to rinse That's it off. a really good analogy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad somebody told me that by my second cooked turkey. <laughs> the whole process of brining is penetrating the muscle of your poultry with the process of osmosis through water. Right. So the longer it sits in there, the more it's going to absorb the sodium into the muscles. It's also going to make it moist and less dried out when you cook it. And it's going to have a lot of flavor through it. A lot of times, especially growing up, we would cook turkeys and marinate the shit out of the outside of them. And then the skin was really delicious. But then you start eating like the turkey breast and you're like, well, this tastes like, you know, dried out nothing. So brining really helps penetrate that flavor. So to answer your question about how long, typically you you don't want to go any less than four hours and you can do it overnight. I typically for, for like a turkey, I'll brine it for 12 to 24 hours. The issue you're going to run into if you go past that is you're yep. going to get like deli meat turkey. I think part of the brining that people don't yeah. talk about is the aromatics that people can add to them. Depending on what you're doing in the season, you can change what you want. So herbs, citrus, other flavors can add to that brine. When I do my holiday brines, we'll do um, like jalapenos with orange, lemon, lime, onions. Is there a method that you guys prefer outside of brining, like frying a turkey, flat out baking a turkey, like doing a spatchcock or, you know, doing like a sear in a cast iron pan or something before sticking in the oven? Like, what do you think is the best option of a preparation? What I've done at home is I just, I'm anti-aluminum, but cover the breast with it and start the process just the breast? with that and pull it off halfway through. Okay. Yeah, just the breast, just the chest. I mean, your your meat on the bones are going to cook way slower than anything exposed. Got so. it. Well, I'm definitely going to try that because every single year that I've had a turkey, outside of when my mom makes it, because my mom's the MVP always ends up being this dry <laughs> turkey breast. The good news is for the most part as a kid, after she would cook, she would slice everything up oh, and serve it on the plate. Okay. So you kind of, you know, you got what you got off the plate of mixed meat instead of just being like, this person got the breast, this person got the drumstick. There were three of us growing up. So it was the only way to prevent assault fights. and battery. Yeah. Yeah. Fights. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so you have like half fights. All right. Or I'll, my mom's not going to listen to this podcast. Frying turkeys obviously is like a big thing. If there's any holiday that people decide they're going to try and fry a turkey, it's Thanksgiving. What's your sentiment on frying a turkey? Is it worth almost burning down your house? <laughs> <laughs> That's a myth. I mean, I think on social media, there's a, there's a big hype about improper ways to fry turkeys i fried mm. plenty of turkeys safely and and there's a couple things to think about when you do it um, uh, and, and i'm going to share with you those ideas 
isn't this why we're doing this podcast? <laughs> it is, but that's, um, that's my point. That's why you have properly right. fried turkeys. So uh, the, the, issue, the issue is there's two things. You're putting your bird in the oil too fast. And then the, the other thing is there's moisture on the bird that's going to react to the hot oil. It's going to make it pop. It's going to make it boil, yeah. whatever the hell it is. You got to keep track of the, of the temperature yeah. difference. So like when you're dangerous. frying anything, if you start loading your, your pan or your pot that has oil in it with, with product that's cold, your, your temperature is going to drop. Yep. So you have to kind of come back from that and it, and it will do it on its own in given the right circumstances. But then there's people that want to put like a bird that's half frozen into a, a vat of uh, oil and then you're going to have a spillage. <laughs> now where you have an issue is they actually sell these like turkey fryers that are enclosed and they almost look like a box and you can do them in inside the house uh, i had a really good friend of mine uh jeremy and christina up in chicago who did a fried turkey one year and it came out f- amazing but then i've also fried turkeys in in uh fry laters and then outside <laughs> so yeah the like key is you have to have the turkey dry so after you brine it because you should always brine your turkey take it out of the brine rinse it off add it dry and then you have to let it sit in the cooler and let it dr- almost like the skin has to dry. Yeah, let it, yeah. Let it drain out. Yeah, It has to drain out. It has to, the skin has to be, can't be wet. A fried turkey, like I had, I never had one until I started working at the Bears. And, you know, one of the, one of the coaches that uh, we worked with, he's like, yeah, can you make fried turkeys? I was like, sure. And we did the research. We, you know, did it. And it was awesome. I mean, holy cow. If you have a brined fried turkey, like you're you're going to heaven and everyone's going to accept you. <laughs> <laughs> then product is great. Yeah. No, you're right. I'm you're just going to take right. like the biggest yeah. saucepan I have and I'm going to stick a blowtorch upside down. <laughs> no, that's not going to work for you. <laughs> the biggest saucepan you got? Nah, that's not going to work. Most fried turkeys, unless you have like one of those like portable butane things and you don't have one. Don't do it. There you go, everybody. There's your tip for the day. Make sure your turkey's dry so you don't die before you fry. <laughs> yeah, that's we need to, that, this that's should, awesome. it should be like um, it should play on Butterball's, I don't know, website or something before. <laughs> it's like McDonald's. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's hot. Little little. Uh, oh, that's awesome. Coming from corporate America, there's a lot of turkey safety regulations and i worked for corporate dining for almost 10 years now and they're constantly sending out like sign this form that you know how to cook turkey you're not going to get people sick oh okay yeah but it's it's so repetitive because i guess four hundred thousand americans get sick from christmas leftover every year and that's a 2011 study so it's probably more and then 48 million americans get sick annually according to the cdc Obviously, this holiday season, we got to be a little bit better about not getting sick and not getting our loved ones sick, especially with all this COVID stuff going on. I know that it's going to look really different for a lot of people, the holiday seasons, especially now. But you were asking, like, why does so many people get sick from leftovers? Um, Working in the industry, you kind of get engraved in your head food safety and same thing with hotels and like mark you can jump in any moment you want with that leftovers is huge and a lot of people make mistakes they leave it out on the table all night and then they put it away and you only have a certain amount of time that it could be in the temperature danger zone which is 41 to 140. i'm surprised that people do that because the only thing that i can think that i feel mildly comfortable doing that to is a pizza because i feel like everything in that is so fake yeah yeah. that you'll survive no matter what well people don't understand it's not a it's not a time limit on that one time it's out. So if you pull that turkey out and it sits out for an hour, you have to account for that one hour. Mm-hmm. 
right? And then you if you then you put it back in the fridge, you put it out, pull it out for half an hour. Now you're at one and a half hours. People don't realize that it's like a, you're just adding time to it. Not you're you're not restarting. Yeah, it. because there's a process for like chilling properly too. Like there's a set amount of time you want to absolutely chill anything that's been cooked that's going to be reheated later. It's two, four, to six hours max to get it back to below 40 degrees. I have a terrible stomach anyways, and if I make myself sick, I just power through. Because <laughs> I'm a caveman. If I'm sick and throwing up, I'll be like, oh, man, this is terrible. And I'm like, let me just rinse my mouth and get one more bite. Push through. Um, yeah. and, and I think something that a lot of people don't realize is the, the most important part is the first two hours of cooling, you have to get it under 70 degrees. Because yeah. that's, you know, between 70 and 140 is like the the biggest window for bacteria to grow and multiply. But the people that, you know, do this at home with their leftovers, they do it safely. They're fine. It's, they're good for a couple of days. And, you know, obviously cooking your items to 165 for chicken and veggies, 145, make sure you're cooking stuff the right way. So advice to my home cooks, make sure your food is cooked all the way. Especially poultry. When you're yeah. 165. Yeah. Sorry. I didn't mean to when cut you're you done off, with yeah. it. No, 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 no. That's extremely helpful. Poultry cooked to 165. Make sure your sides, you said 145. It depends on which, the side it is, what you're doing. Okay. Like if you're stuffing and, something, minim, you know, minimum temperature for, for vegetables is going to be like 135, but I go 145, it. you go higher. It, it just depends. Your, your critical items are your meats, so, you know, your hams, your, your especially your poultry, um, all that stuff. Folks at home, when you're done eating your meat, <laughs> put it in the damn fridge. <laughs> Please don't die. Because if you die, you don't get to the best part of Thanksgiving, which is the leftovers. Yeah. But while, <laughs> but before we get to leftovers, for Thanksgiving in particular, a must-have on our table is green bean casserole. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it's just because whenever we do the those French fried onions, mm. every year I will buy two packs and I will eat one before <laughs> Thanksgiving hits <laughs> <laughs> on everything. I've been, dude, I've been eating them. I was standing in my kitchen prepping breakfast this morning and I, I like dumped it in my hand like it was mixed nuts and ate some. And they're like salty. The, the, the French so onion? Oh my God, they're so good. <laughs> so funny. Yeah. So that's, that's a must have in my household for Thanksgiving. And then, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm Cuban. So for Christmas, it's, we do black beans. It's, <laughs> beans it's not again. an option. We do. We, we do. Every, every Christmas, we do pork, black beans, uh, rice. Usually, I do yuca. And then I've been trying to do plantains. Mm, I love plantains. Yeah. yeah, me too. The ripeness is the hard part to gauge. It's like an avocado. Yeah, I mean, if you're making a, of like... Yeah, depending on what you're doing with it. If it's a sweet sweet plantain, yeah, it's your ripeness. Yeah. If you want to stone us, then you, you would know better than me, I think, in this, <laughs> in this area. Well, and, and usually I just do the sweet plantains, but they're, I feel like it's like the avocado, right? Where it could be day three and it's not quite ripe, but it's day three and a half and it's <laughs> mm-hmm. bad. Like it's the same way. So most of the time I end up getting like the prepackaged one, which is fine. It's fine. You know? I have a funny story about plantains. When, when I was uh, working at the Bears, the first season I was there, they're like, oh, you know, can you bring like different kinds of cuisine? And then, you know, we're in the Midwest, so it's very steak and potatoes and <laughs> A lot of almost all the players grew up on like their grandma's cooking, so it's like real comfort food. I yeah. was like, yeah, I'm like I'm gonna make I'm gonna make mofongo. Oh, and, oh uh, yeah. So I, it's hard to get plantains up there, especially like if you want them in a certain stage. So like two weeks out, I reached out to the produce company and I'm like, hey, give me these plantains. I want them like green. It's like okay. So they come in. I don't have mortar and pestle to make, you know, mofongo. I don't have like a buffalo chop or anything to like mince all this stuff. So I'm like 
cook frying them and then in a pot smashing them down with like a metal ore oh my god <laughs> throwing garlic in there and salt and i'm smashing all this crap in there and just like over and over and over like just exhausted trying to make 40 pounds of mofongo for, for, for those of you by the way who don't know what mofongo is it's like plantain mashed potatoes it's fried plantains and then mashed yeah with garlic and a lot of times you can like stuff it like in puerto rico they have these little yeah you can put meat in it you can put veggies in it and so they call it rellenos that means like stuffed and you'll you'll form it into like the little wooden mortar and pestle and then you stuff it with meat and then cap it with more of the mofongo and then flip it on the plate and it looks like a big you know ball but I make 40 pounds of the stuff. I put it out on the line for the players <laughs> and we wrote on it, Hey, this is Mofongo. And every single one of them looked at it and goes, what's Mofongo? <laughs> Damn it. Like, I'm, not, I'm not eating that. Yeah. I don't even want to say that. I'm like, Oh, great. When it's something like that, you just have to, you got to come up with another name for it. You got to be like, well, we did. We had to, we wrote another sign. that's like, you know, fried mashed plantains. And they're like, that's worse. I'm like, Oh, great. <laughs> See, it sounds delicious to me. I don't know. Yeah, me too. Uh, lesson <laughs> <Yeah>. learned. <laughs> we went back to mac and cheese and, you know, pulled pork for them and all that. Uh, I bet it was delicious, though. Yeah, of course. Mark, what's the absolute, like, has to be on your table, obviously, besides turkey for the holidays? Besides a I like ham, personally. Um, ham? I, I love, yeah. I love well, a ham, especially on the bone. Oh, yeah. yeah. But See, do you do the honey ham or do you just do, like, a really traditional... It it varies. Like I like pineapple. I mean, it's old school, and it's not canned pineapple. I'll go with fresh. But I like I like a good, yeah, proper pineapple. You know, glazed ham. The yeah, natural sweetness. Natural sweetness. Yeah, yeah. The, definitely yeah. get a raw ham or at least a smoked one. But don't mm-hmm. get something that's completely processed and cooked, um, where you're just reheating. Um, that's that's for me. Yoma, um, what's your must have? Yep. So Thanksgiving, we always have a obviously turkey, and then ham. And then for Christmas we do turkey, and then we do oh, uh, was, oh yes, pork butt support. or pork shoulder, hell yeah, oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And uh, but it's always like still pork, you know, still you know two proteins, but it's just different. And then we you're, we kind of stick to the traditional th- sides. We always have sweet potatoes. But we do like sweet potato casserole where we uh, bake it with like the marshmallows mm. on top. Yeah, and then. Instead of doing just just mashed potatoes, like we do, like a really cheesy sour cream mashed potato, which is freaking awesome. I gotta make that this year. Uh, green bean casserole has kind of evolved. <laughs> um, growing up, we we always you know had it like not fresh, so we I make it fresh. Um, Very important. And then, yeah, and then uh, you know we get like rum cake or pie and you know stuff like that. So, but we don't have like rice and beans and things. So when you do the that. green bean casserole fresh. So I was thinking about this today because I, of course, like I'm thinking just the easiest classic way because I'm probably going to have to find a way to knock out Thanksgiving as quickly as humanly possible right between naps and for this kid. Um, so I'm thinking like, okay, you do the green bean casserole, the traditional way you cook green beans, you mix a can of cream mushroom and, you know, and I thought about it today as I had already bought all this stuff and I'm going, damn, I probably could have made a better bechamel by just buying mushrooms <laughs> using butter and doing this myself yeah. i'm assuming that that's all it would be right for the casserole yeah pretty pretty much you want to make you can make your own cream of mushroom yeah um and thicken it and season it and that would be your base for it all absolutely i feel like that would taste so it much would. better so those of you who are at home if you 
making a root is not hard. I know I talked about this in one of the earlier episodes. It's it's literally just fat and flour, and then you turn it into a bechamel, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that's your thickening agent. Yeah. So the roux is going to thicken, you know, whatever liquid you pretty much put it in. But I'm guessing that's how they make a cream mushroom, and then they condense it down to nothing. Yeah, I mean, depending on yeah water. what you're buying, or they're probably just doing a just a xanthan gum or cornstarch if it's like not a great great brand. All right, there you go. I learned something. And today. did you know? Did you know that the U.S. is the largest producer of cranberries for the world? Really, I did not know that. Mm-hmm. Is that like a Midwest thing? New England, oh. I think. Because right? I've never, I can tell you, I've never seen a cranberry in Florida. I'm pretty sure they're. That's not in a bag. Oh, there's no. I'm pretty sure it's big in New England. We'd have to check. Don't. That's fine. There's there's zero fact checking. What, what's the uh, what's it going to be? It's like Jamie. Can you fact check? <laughs> we don't. <laughs> oh yeah, from from really yeah. <laughs> We don't have that here. <laughs> oh, but. So Massachusetts, New Jersey, Oregon, and Washington. There you go. All of which are not in Florida. So that explains why I've never seen a cranberry grown in my life. I got to ask, best holiday food experiences growing up, whether it's from a in-the-biz perspective or just as a personal perspective. I mean, me personally, you don't appreciate stuff as much until you become an adult and you realize how much work is involved in having to prep meals. <laughs> True. And for me, just, you know, my family moved pretty far away from me as I became an adult. So my best food holiday experience is just like being an adult, going home to like visit my family with my wife. And, you know, like my grandmother was still alive and like having a nice, great Thanksgiving there. It's like the last really, really good memory I can imagine. And I actually ate so much uh, that I was full for almost a full 24 hours (laughs) after. It was great. I'm just looking at the. Yeah, I'm just trying to think back. I mean, I've got so many different memories. You know, living overseas when Thanksgiving doesn't always match up because you're in West Africa. You know, it's different cultures and stuff. But my my mom always making that effort to somehow make it happen. You know, we didn't have turkeys. Yeah. But yeah, we it was chicken, and you actually went to the market. You bought chicken. You went home, and it was slaughtered. Like it's not like here where you just go to the supermarket and grab, you know, pre-processed stuff in cellophane like you actually physically had to go grab a chicken (laughs) kill it pluck it (laughs) it, yeah you know so but i i think that's awesome though that that starts that you know most experiences or the path to food in some Mm -hmm. form or fashion has started in a way right at home in the kitchen yeah I, i feel like most people that you hear from that have taken the path that you guys have is either you know I learned or I, I found interest because, you know, this is what I observed at home and it's something that, you know, became passionate to me or brought the family together, whatever those things are, right? And it's usually not like, you know, I watched Emeril Lagasse throw seizing on food and that inspired me. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, those things are definitely influenced. You know, now you mention it, I think back, it's like, yeah, that actually definitely has had an impact on, you know, my passion with it. Food is, is I think, like the core of culture, if you think about it. Oh yeah, uh, completely. Yeah, going back to those memories, that's that's yeah, that's that's what I remember. It's just those little things, and my my mom really making an effort to have her traditions that she grew up with available for us as we're growing up with my two brothers, you know. But when if we happen to be in the states at that moment, then we'd be at my grandmother's usually um, on my mom's side, and she always did her best to have a proper Thanksgiving, and she was actually Latvian, but came to America after the Second World War and really took on these these American traditions right after, yeah. you know, right after 1945, 46, 47. 
Um, and so, yeah, I remember her Thanksgivings were very formal and they were hardcore. And, you know, she was against elbows on the table. She was, she was a <laughs> etiquette stiffler. Like she was, she didn't play the game. <laughs> so they weren't always great memories, right. but they were, they're still fond. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, we, I came from a small family, so it's a lot of, a lot of holidays with friends and especially around Christmas. Like we have people come over from Puerto Rico and, you know, they'd stay through, through Christmas. And then um, people, you know, people come from uh, Naples and different parts. Uh, we'd have a big party Christmas Eve. And then Christmas day is usually like you, you don't have breakfast. You get up and then you make like brunch with your leftovers and open like you know, your gifts and play music and, you know, just enjoy each other's company. Um, once the gifts are open, everyone kind of runs into their own side of the house and does, you know, <laughs> go, goes through their, their items. But yeah, the, you know, leftovers were a big part of Christmas day for us, you know, really utilizing that as like a brunch. That's the best part. Um, Growing up in, uh, in, uh, in Niger, um, Niger is dominantly Muslim. So you're like, if you've got an 80% popular or 80% of the population is Muslim. Um, not radical or anything, um, but they have a big. But you're cel- probably still not roasting a pork. Oh, you are not roasting a pork. Okay, no, you're definitely not. <laughs> pork is available, and it's okay. no one's gonna like shit on you for having pig. I mean, it's not like it's good it's Taliban zone or anything like that. But their right. holiday, the, their big holiday that I remember because it was around my birthday was in June was Tabaski, where they did similar. And that day, everybody buys a mutton or sheep. I mean, or a big lamb. I guess if you want to. If you want to be uh, technical about it, technical about it, yeah, <laughs> um, and yeah, but it's everyone. It's it's a big ritual, you know. And then there's there's um, there's there's a uh, yeah, there's a process to it. It's it's there's a ritual to it. It's very spiritual. There's mosque in the morning. Then after that, the men get together and they take the animals out onto the street or wherever they're going to do this. And there's praying that goes on. But then there's a slaughter. And then the breaking down of the animal, and then it gets put on a on a basically on a spit. Like so, there's open flames throughout the whole city. It's crazy. It's out of control, oh, that's cool. you know. And that's how you do it. And those that have more give to those that have less. So there's a big part of giving in that. That's really awesome because some families actually save months just to be able to buy this animal for this day and for this holiday and for this celebration. But it's about giving, which is cool. It brings people together. But I remember flying into Niamey, which is the capital of Niger, one evening. Like it was, I think it was, the sun had just gone down. I forget around what time. And coming in, there was just, there's just like smoke coming from so many different cities. Like keep in mind, this city is in the, is sub-Sahara. So you've got mm-hmm. nothing. I mean, there's no light pollution whatsoever. <laughs> and then you like, you're, you're landing, wow. you're coming in. And I could just see smoke bellowing, like just all over the place. And it was Tabaski. I mean, the, the. Is the the flames left over from I guess the roasting of the of the the sheep? It's insane. Yeah, I do have to say cool. I appreciate in how in almost every single culture the food is you know it's spiritual, right? There's a certain level of appreciation knowing that you know this animal is effectively sacrificing its life for you to live, right? Mm-hmm. And knowing that and appreciating that, and I think almost like paying homage to the animal by using all of the pieces of it, it means a lot. So mm-hmm. I just you know I appreciate that in every culture. Um, almost every culture that that's, you know, it's a, it's, it's in the forefront, right? It's not, it is not overlooked that what we're given is a blessing and that we're treating it respectfully. So yeah. I'm not really taking cool. it for granted. Yeah. Very, you're absolutely right. Exactly. I love it, man. 
We got to talk about the important stuff right now. All right. Leftovers? <laughs> no, Leftovers, baby. Seriously, <laughs> I'm, I'm so excited because this being the, the first year that I'm doing uh, essentially a turkey with my wife by ourselves, right? Like I don't have family and stuff coming this year. I'm going to have a lot of leftovers and I am ready to f*** it up. <laughs> <laughs> the, the one thing you did that you did miss, and I, maybe we, maybe we didn't miss it in safety is reheating properly too though. Oh yeah. yeah you yeah. definitely got to talk about that, especially when you're, you're talking about leftovers. So depending on how you use it, but I don't know how I went my whole life without thinking about using leftover turkey for a pot Dude, that dark meat is the best man it is so good <laughs> that's yeah, why yeah, turkey on day of is not as exciting to me as it is the day after or the week after if you cryovac it and you put it in your freezer i mean don't I waste even think about doing that my god i have i feel like i'm doing so many things wrong well here we are we can talk about it <laughs> so yeah Popeyes are awesome we did we used to do that a lot for leftovers in general for the players we would do pot pies, like take home meals, and then you know utilize some stuff for the next day. And it was always I a hit. Start playing football, man. I feel like they eat really well. <laughs> yeah. Well, all I got to do disastrous. is like, put on fifty yeah. to sixty pounds, and then develop talent, and then get drafted. <laughs> there you go. So, <laughs> so that's yeah, one, one small step before. Oh, I'm, I'm going to start by putting on the weight first. I feel like it's got to be the easiest part. <laughs> Chef Mark and I have a an acquaintance, a friend that we worked with before, and she made. Probably the best sandwiches with some leftovers. And her, her name is Chef uh, Jen Knox. She would make some amazing, like, she'd call them magic sandwiches. But they were always like, so good. The bread was crispy and delicious. And, like, all the the, the fillings were, like, hot and melty and cheesy. Uh, so yeah, she was, she's like, a the legend. queen of that stuff. Jeez. Jen Knox? Man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's awesome. Do you remember any of her sandwiches? Any specific one? She made this one that was, like... It was tenderloin, like roasted mushrooms, and I, I don't remember if it was Gruyere cheese, but she had like caramelized onions on it, and then a bunch of stuff. And she made like a bunch of them, cut them all up, and we all just—it was like the only time the kitchen was quiet while we were eating sandwiches. <laughs> Success. <laughs> so, I mean, what else do you guys? So obviously, like, we can't do much of the green bean casserole. Like, that's just going to be green bean casserole. A green bean casserole, yeah. <laughs> It's a tough one. I mean, you can get creative, I guess. You can be inventive. And just add more French fried onions on top? That's yeah, all that's it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> keep, keep it crunchy. Re-top re, re it and heat it up. <laughs> but you, you mentioned um, you know, safely reheating items, and I think it's important to people to realize that when they're reheating it, they got to hit yeah. that 165 mark. Because if they don't, it's like your risk of getting yourself sick or somebody else and I would feel terrible if I got somebody sick in my house and they went home and, you know, um, sort of having days of, of uh, food poisoning. I had the luxury of getting food poisoning up in Chicago when it was, like, down for oh. the count. I was on the floor in my apartment. Oh. I couldn't get up. It was rough. It wasn't my food, but it was a, it was a, it was a diner uh, down the street from where I was living. So do you have rough. to hit that like, 165 at the reheat also? Um, it's – I think with – with uh, let me uh, – Again, don't misquote me, but 165, I think, cooking from raw. Got it. Um, once it's one, when you're reheating food, I'm pretty sure 141, 142, I think, is the standard. Okay. Um, somebody want to check that? Uh, 
We will. Just we Jamie, don't want to give. Can you fact check? This is where you check. Yeah, we don't want to give false information out there. And then, oh yeah, your podcast yeah. said, hey. No. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, that lawsuit will go right to you. Mark. Um, <laughs> no, it's so it's um it's one sixty five for uh, reheating left. Oh, it is. Um, okay. You know, obviously, yeah. So like, uh, different cuts of meat, different things cook at, from raw to a different temperature. But for reheating safely, 165 would be the best. But here's the issue, right? Like you have a steak that you maybe didn't finish. You yep. like that medium rare. Like you don't uh, want to cook that at 165. No. It's going to turn to garbage. So so that, you know, I think there's some wiggle room as far as like understanding like what to reheat the, to 165. The majority of things, especially like chicken, definitely want to get to 165. Uh, if you're doing anything with like um, ground meat or if you're doing anything with like Dairy, you might want to get that up. Wait, to so we're not supposed to eat it cold over my stove with with the apple pie uh, with no shirt on, like I do every day after right, Thanksgiving. Right. <laughs> uh, you can you can eat it cold. It's uh, but Hurt. you know it's your own risk. And if you're making a sandwich, sandwich uh, especially properly chilled chicken breast, I think you're got fine. It. Oh, absolutely. I was oh, just thinking. Yeah. I wonder if you can make like a because in... we talked about frittatas and stuff. I wonder how like a stuffing frittata would be. I can't tell if that sounds delicious or disgusting. Depends on how you made your stuffing, I guess. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, I feel like you could try. You can't be that bad. I'm sure they do it in the Biscuits South. Biscuits and gravy's pretty good with a cracked yeah. egg on there. Uh, uh, so yeah. I'll report back on Friday morning. But yeah, speaking of sandwiches, um, one of the best ones I actually not to compete with Jen Knox, but uh, <laughs> when I was in Amsterdam, we did Thanksgiving for a bunch of ex- American expats. Mm-hmm. Um, that were there, and we we had jerky left over. I happened to have tilagio, um and a badass like I forget I forget what the grain was, but some it was some sort of Dutch bread, um, very similar to pumpernickel. And oh, nice! So yeah, I grabbed some uh, some of the turkey breasts, thinly sliced. Grab some cranberry sauce we had left over, mixed with aioli, smeared some tilagio, um on the bread, and put the sliced turkey right between the two pieces and just pressed it on a panini press and it was freaking phenomenal so you had tilagio roasted turkey breast uh almost like a cranberry aioli on that bread nothing else i want so many things right it now. was so freaking good but that tilagio my god i love it it's stinky as hell and some people can't stand that's it that's the but... best cheeses that sounds so good i i, I wasn't even hungry when we started all this because it's kind of late right now but I could eat. Yeah, hit me up on the side, man. I've got some good <laughs> ideas for you for leftovers. Like, yeah, really. It's, it's the best part. It's just, it's just the extension of that holiday. It's like, man, every time you open that fridge and you go grab something, it's like, oh, you know, you're, <laughs> you're continuing that celebration. Well, my biggest you problem know, is all the labor that goes into. I have no Sorry? self-control. So the leftovers are the worst part for me because I will, like, I'll try and hold out till at least like noon the next day, usually because I'm, I'm still uncomfortably full from the previous night of overeating. But I, I can tell you, like, I'm usually to the point where I just stack stuff on the sandwich. So I, I would do that. I would take whatever rolls are left. Or if there's, like, if there's Hawaiian rolls, I would slice, like, a four count. <laughs> you know what I mean? So make a big yeah. sandwich. <laughs> no, I get it. But that's, this is so comfortable. It's so comforting. And I would dollop everything on top. I, I mean, yes, three. turkey, mashed potatoes, I would not even care. It would all just go on the sandwich, and I would just see how much I could have and it not be gross. It's no, not it's, gross. I mean, that's like a three yeah, m snack. It's, it's, I. So are there are there 
classic dishes that you feel like like what's what's the worst classic dish in your opinion cranberry sauce really i think yeah. I, I yeah so growing up with cranberry sauce and like the you go to most places it's really dull it's really it's just a can it's just Ocean like spray real, just dumped in um, a bowl yeah and and that's unfortunately like the biggest user of that but i think you know in the last maybe 10 years we've really on a personal level, it's like take it, at, taking it as a challenge. You know, that's one thing better. Shannon does very well. Yeah. Shannon will always Using... use fresh cranberries. She'll always do like orange zest, orange juice, fresh yes. from a fresh orange in it every single year. Yep. She'll add a very small amount of sugar to cut some of the tartness. But, you know, you want it to be still really tart. Maybe that's why, like, I'm so shocked by it because that's one thing that, like, Shannon – Shannon's like an episode of Friends where, like, Chandler walks around and he's like, have you tried my cranberry sauce? But but she kicks ass. It's it's really really good. So yeah, I think adding like cinnamon and citrus, and I, I add a little more sugar than a little bit because uh, cranberry sauce has to. I think it has to have a lot more than just the bitterness. Because to me, and it's all yeah. I'm gonna taste. Y'all yep. um, a bunch of cranberry. Haters. Um, but yeah, like <laughs> no 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 no. I, I, I like them, I like cranberry. You know, that <laughs> growing up, that was the worst thing. I mean, especially yeah, if you're work. if you're gonna buy. Yeah. First of all, you're very rarely going to buy a fresh yeah. cranberry but you are going to buy an iqf cranberry so yeah they come out very tart mm -hmm. very bitter so depending on the batch and what you buy then you've got to adjust your recipes but it still kicks compared to anything coming out of a can or a jar i mean i think that's why it's mm -hmm. underappreciated because it's so easily available all the time it's just like oh just throw a cranberry sauce cranberry yep. jelly you know we grew up with that our grandparents used yeah. it. it's like oh but you can do so much. I mean, cranberry is for a humble ingredient. There's a lot you can do with it. Yeah, I'm I'm excited actually about the aioli idea. That's really good, man. <laughs> um, it's simple, you know. Well, I, so but yeah, I, I play think with it's it. a big thing too for most people, right? You breaking any norm, it's just uncomfortable, right? I think probably probably that's like the idea people do. Just like you said, the canned cranberries. It's uncomfortable to do something different sometimes or they don't know how labor intensive it's going to be my first experience i remember watching somebody use a fresh fruit to make something actually was you yoma when i stayed with you in chicago you're making like a yeah you're making like a berry compote or something oh yeah that's what was i was making blueberry powder and i was um in a berry compote yeah i was oh, dehydrating nice. yeah. blueberries to to make a blue a blueberry uh powder that's sugar awesome. but it, um, it didn't look overly value. complicated. And, was um, my point, you know. And yeah, that's it. It's it's time consuming. No, it just takes that's time. It. patience. But the end result's awesome. I just pulled garlic out of the dehydrator and made Ooh. black garlic. Um, okay. But uh, so <laughs> <laughs> I had the temperature I think too high because they're like hard as a rock. I'm uh, gonna have to grind them down and make powder. Yeah, so it's gonna be a powder. Um, I could put in like butter and like you know make it into a salt. But I was looking to get the like the soft mm. you know making it ferment into the, the maillard effect and have have it like softer you can spread it but this will do um we'll try it again uh i gotta i gotta lay <laughs> off the dehydrator because my wife is like why is that thing on all the time <laughs> make potato chips and like sprinkle that powder on there yeah that'd be awesome yeah i was gonna do like a smoked black garlic sea salt Ooh. and then a butter for it that's yeah. it um but the you know, something to consider for the people that are listening, especially in the holidays, the 
biggest issue that I think people run into is they don't realize how much, how long it takes to make all this food, whether you're doing it from scratch or half from scratch. Um, so prepping out like yes. two days out is, for, you know, is key, especially if we do it all the time in the restaurant industry, but it's something that at home we should be doing too. So I'm going to start prepping Monday because I'll be, that's when I'll throw my turkey into the brine and then pulling it out Tuesday, start like peeling my sweet potatoes, start cutting my green beans, like all those little cutting and prepping. That's going to, that's the killer. That's going to mess you up on, on the day of cooking. That's, you're so right, man. That's funny because that was one of my notes when, when I was looking over the, the template and the sheet you sent was staying ahead, yeah. you know, no last minute yeah. bullshit, especially if I enjoy some time with the people you're, you know, giving yeah. all this love to. Yeah, exactly. I did a little brunch the other week with some friends and um, like earlier in, uh, that, or the night before I was like cracking and scrambling the eggs and putting them yes. in a container and putting that in the fridge. And like, cause those are the things that you start following. Like, oh, I have to crack all these eggs and I have to beat the eggs and do this. Well, like, no, you just, you should prep it to the point to right before you yep. have to cook it. Um, if, it, if it's not going to mess up the quality or the color or oxidize or whatever you're doing and, and, you know, go from there. Um, it's faster. It's more efficient. Like you said, you spend way more time with the people. Um, and it's actually because if, you know, if you have a kitchen that people like to hang yeah. out in and they see you doing that, they're going to they're gonna look at it like a show. They're like, wow, he's just like going out. You're like, I'd rather have them watch me cook than have them watch me cook. <laughs> yeah, exa exactly. <laughs> so wise, wise, no, wise. Like, <laughs> it's, like, it's like, oh, yeah, here's a peeling garlic. That's, like, that's yeah, a really good no, idea. Good. You know, and, and <laughs> this year or so, one thing Shannon really wants to knock out of the park is stuffing. So we've never made stuffing from scratch before. So, Oof. you know. Man, that's another versatile thing. I love stuff. Yeah, you can play with that. You can play all so, day with that. I would have to say, in my opinion, stuffing is usually my least favorite classic side dish. And I... <laughs> and that's the podcast. Everybody, good night. So... No, I said... How, so how, I, I feel like stuffing, for the most part... Well, I, How'd you I, make it? I've usually never made it. Sorry. And, and if, if my mom made it, my mom usually uh, would make stuffing from scratch. We just do, like, the box stuffing, which is fine. Like, I, I don't... I don't I don't dislike it because um, I will pretty much eat anything. But, you know, my mom had so many other sides that were – they shined. You know, like my mom would make mashed potatoes that were fantastic. You know, so that's – so I felt like the stuffing was just like it existed. You know, you, you had it, you poured gravy on top. And I've had it other places where they would make it from scratch and it would generally be a little dry, I think would be the issue for me. So. Yeah, not, not enough fat, yeah. not enough stock. Not enough veg, You're right? <laughs> and that's why I imagine, yeah. right? Because it's gonna, it's gonna absorb everything, right? It's basically you're cooking with a sponge. That's one that I always feel like just needs a little, like stuffing needs some love, man. It needs some improvements or some sort of. It needs. It, it needs some sausage. cultural change, man. Sausage. It needs yeah. nuts. It needs vegetables. You need you need crunch factors in there. You need. Uh, you, need you can really layer the flavors yeah, on stuffing. Can. That's that's one that. I'm debating on. On making it from scratch, like mm -hmm. making um, like a bunch yeah, of bread, dry it out, and then and drying it so, out, um, or just buying. So bread how do you properly it. dry it out the bread? I know it seems like a dumb question, but I honestly thought about that. Like, how do you how do you dry out the bread without making it go bad? Depends <laughs> on how much time you got. <laughs> so, <laughs> so how processed the bread is. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, approximately five days. <laughs> 
Oh, you don't need that much time. <laughs> no, 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 no. You, you, if you set your oven on the lowest okay. temperature, you can you can dry it yeah. up pretty quick. You know, the issue is the stuff that we buy at the store will mold before it dries out, especially if it's in the bag. But if you let it just sit out on a pan um, and you're in your oven at the lowest setting, what do you, it'll what do you think? Be like a few hours, or, yeah. thirty minutes, thirty forty five minutes. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it, you know, it's not especially when you're going to mm-hmm. cut it down to cute. Like I would cut it before yes. you dry it. That way. And it's not going to crumble apart on you, um, but I should. Yeah, that's kind of like these. You're making like a, yeah. an aged crew. No, it's great. I should make that peasant <laughs> right. bread that I've been making. Yeah. While in quarantine, and have that be the base of the. If nothing, I yeah, haven't um, really good. heard about this, Mark, but while I've been home and working from home, I have baked more loaves of bread than you could possibly imagine. My my baking game has gone from like. Completely novice to like yeah. slightly better novice. No, I, I think I, you're being I would humble. say every every four <laughs> loaves of bread I screw up. Um, but yeah, are you what, what's what's your variety? Like, are you making different types of bread? Or are you like focusing on a Hell single? No. I have you know something have no you want to like perfect. I just I, <laughs> what I've learned about baking versus food is uh, cooking food is like jazz, right? There's some. There's variability to it. Like mm-hmm. you can go off the garden rails a little bit. You can mix stuff, and most of the time, you can kind of reseason or add other ingredients that get you back on track. Like it's really easy to f- up a loaf of bread because it's like alchemy. Like everything has to be, for the most part, in my experience, like perfect measurements. I was like, oh, I put in, I put in one gram of it, water too much, is. and I'm like, the bread didn't rise. How is this even possible? Yeah. Yeah, and that environment. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, bread. Oof. You know what, though? And you're bold. I did make Much I made dinner rolls the other day, and one recipe turned out decent. So what I did was I froze half the batch. Uh, as soon as I, – I, I baked off a few just to see if it was going to be decent. And as soon as I realized they the good ones, I was like, that's it. And I stuck some and stuck them in my freezer. So that's what we're having on Thanksgiving. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Hey, I just made this. It's not a bad idea. I mean, it's, it's, it's yeah. fresh from two days ago. Yeah. Chef's Turns secret. out – butter salt yeah that's what i do with um with different yeah with different butters so i'll do like like a shrimp garlic butter and then i'm gonna do this black garlic salted butter and just keep them rolled up in the freezer and just pull out what you need it's a um, great you know, idea as, as i mean cook with it. Uh, what i made obviously is significantly less processed than whatever i would get at the grocery store the downside is it has a shelf life of like two days and of course i'm not like keeping yeah. it it's not in a bread box and a humidity controlled whatever that's needed for bread. Like I'm, yeah, I'm stuffing a Ziploc bag. I do like a complete caveman. <laughs> so yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. I think we covered uh, a lot in this episode guys. Thank you again so much for listening. Mark, thanks so much for being on the show and everybody. If you, if there's anything that you want to hear something that you're interested in, do you, if you have any questions, uh, if you want to provide feedback, hopefully it's positive. If you want to throw in a GoFundMe so we can get Yoma a goose egg, all of those things can be done by emailing us at yomascookingcast at gmail.com. Make sure that you subscribe. We will try and continue to keep putting out content and it will continue to improve. And hey, make sure that you cook your food to temperature and make sure when you reheat your food, that you also reheat it to the proper temperature. Thanks for listening.
You want dry turkey breast or you want to f- die? <laughs> yeah, your choice. <laughs> it better be more than 65 months or like half a degree over.